The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Lauren, welcome to a brand new episode of I Love Wellness. Today we have Mark Sisson on the show. He is the founder of Primal Kitchen, one of my favorite food companies, clean eating. Yay, bravo. Mark, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So you're down in Miami Beach? I am indeed. Yep. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it's like summer camp every day down here. I can imagine. I'm back in New York for our listeners that have listened to any episodes that I've recorded in California over the past uh, pre- few weeks. So I'm back on the East Coast now, and it's nice to be back, but I'm actually heading out to Long Island to try to get some sunshine and, and weather. So Mark, how have you been handling everything COVID-19? Is like, Are you guys okay down there? Are you looking forward to going back to the beach? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the only thing missing really is the beach. I mean, I mean, you know, it's like you make the best of the situation and you have no choice. This is, this is the world we live in right now. And uh, you can complain about it and you know, have your little moments. But the reality is um, I've used it as a time to kind of uh, solidify some of the things I've, wanted, I've been wanting to do for a long time. So, you know, I always eat well, I always eat the way I want to eat. So I'm not stuffing Oreos down my face right? like that, you know, out of, out of the misery. I'm finding ways to get outside and I, I, the streets are closed. So now I do, um, I ride a fat bike and these big fat tire kind of bikes. Yeah. I do hour and a half ride two times a week. Um, sometimes I run sprints down the middle of ocean drive, which is wow. Cause there are no cars on it now for the first time in history, basically. Um, you know, I have a friend who has a house in the, in the Island. So I drive over there once or twice a week and I paddle. In fact, I paddled this morning for an hour and a half stand up paddleboard. Um, and, uh, I've been playing drums and piano, something I never had time for. And now I'm carving out at least two hours a day to sit in and kind of pretend that I'm a musician. So I'm having a blast. Oh my gosh. I, I want your life. Um, I was talking to, you know, friends of mine and since I'm back in the city and I think what we have been able to kind of hone in on, at least as a New Yorker, I've lived here for, uh, eight years is that the city is so different in this current moment. And I personally feel so much grief at the loss of my home for the most part. And I had a hard time kind of like figuring out what it was that I was so upset about. And it finally dawned on me. And like, obviously you walk around New York and it's different. Things are closed and, you know, it feels very, very acute here. But I, I was able to recognize that truly it's it's just this overwhelming feeling of grief that I have, you know, lost my home as I know it, even though I still have my apartment and I still have people that live here. It just feels like a different experience right now. So I'm trying to process that and figure out how to move forward. You know what I mean? I do. Uh- uh, totally. But I think, you know, humans are resilient. We've got through a lot of different crises in the past. This is one of the worst that, that you and I will encounter in our lifetime, certainly even my lifetime. And, you know, I, I, you know, the Vietnam War was a big thing. This is nothing. I mean, that was nothing compared to this. In the overall scheme of things, this is going to be a big one. This will be, this will change the way the world operates for the next forever, pretty much. Uh, so we sort of have to just be ready to adapt, but humans are adaptable. That's what, that's what we do. That's how we got here. You know, we evolved, we adapted, uh, and it's just one more set of circumstances that we are going to have to adapt to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's like, like I try to find opportunity here. Like, 
what are the opportunities here? What are the business opportunities that will arise when people realize that they're doing things differently and they have a different sort of strategy for how they move about the day? And, you know, how can I, as somebody who's looking to improve health, how can I uh, fit in, into that that sort of new world order, that new paradigm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are kind words. Apologies if you hear a little siren out there, but that's what we get when we record in New York City and in my apartment instead of in a studio. Um, so I would love to learn more about Primal Kitchen and your origin story because it seems like you were just talking about, you know, we can adapt and we can grow. And I have to imagine that you developed this food brand out of a personal experience and you adapting and changing to a lifestyle that you wanted to uh, like live, breathe, eat literally. Um, so can you tell me just sort of how you got started and did it start like out of illness? Is it just a philosophy that you wanted to adapt? Did it develop over time? I'm, I'm so curious. Yeah, well, it's, um, I'm thinking about writing a book about it at some point. It's a very long story, but I'll keep it as brief as I can. Uh, basically, I've always been interested in health and fitness. Uh, I, was a, I was a runner as a, as a, a high school athlete. I, I you know, ran track and cross country. And, and after college, I kept running and I became a, a fairly decent marathoner. So I competed at an international level in marathons and triathlons. So I was always very uh, sort of uh, down that endurance pathway. And when you're, in the, when you're on the endurance track and, and, and you're training for that, you have to consume a lot of calories. You have to eat, right. eat a lot of food. And the early information was you had to eat a lot of carbohydrates to do that. Well, you know, that's, that's able to fuel all those miles and allow you to, to run long and sometimes fast and, and get the work done. But um, as I was getting faster and more and more adept at uh, racing well, and, and I finished fifth in the U.S. National Championships in, in the marathon in 1980, uh, finished fourth ultimately at Ironman in Hawaii, I was, I was falling apart on the inside. I was so, so while I was, I was performing well, I had all sorts of physical maladies. I had arthritis in my feet. I had tendonitis in my hips. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had upper respiratory tract infections. I had uh, skin rashes. I mean, it was like crazy that. I'm trying to be this picture of health. I'm mm -hmm. literally killing myself. So um, in my late 20s, I had to like quit competing at a high level and rededicate my life to figuring out what I was doing wrong and perhaps what other people were doing wrong. So I started writing about, you know, researching a lot about, about a diet and exercise and medicine. And, and, and the more uh, I sort of got my, my um, epiphany, as you would, that, that what was going on was I was, I was, uh, eating the wrong foods. I was eating very highly inflammatory foods, and these were causing a lot of the problems that I had. So I shifted my diet around. I started really doing a deep dive into the types of foods that we tend to eat as, as Americans uh, and what works and what doesn't. I started looking at the effect that certain foods have on gene expression, literally how our genes are always sort of rebuilding, renewing, regenerating, recreating us minute by minute every day and the ways in which uh, sometimes we can turn on the wrong kind of genes. We can eat the wrong foods and then turn on genes that cause inflammation, that cause us to gain weight, that cause us to be moody and depressed. Now, the, the alternative is we can turn on genes that build muscle and burn fat and make us happy, and, and all of these are at our disposal. Uh, this was quite an epiphany that I had that, that, that uh, you know, I wasn't the only one that had it, but for me and, and how it affected my, my life, I realized that by giving up certain foods, in particular giving up sugars and giving up grains and giving up industrial seed oils, that all of my maladies went away. All my, my arthritis went away, my tendonitis went away, my irritable bowel syndrome went away. 
I stopped getting sick so often. And I realized that if this was happening to me, how many tens of millions of people who weren't focused on fitness and health were having similar problems. So I started writing books and blogs, uh, and this culminated with my blog, Mark Daily Apple, which, uh, which started in 2006. And it took off uh, at a fairly rapid clip. It was very well received by, by uh, you know, the world of uh, people who were interested in ancestral health, sort of like what, what are the natural ways in which we can, you know, achieve health without having to depend on the, uh, the medical system. So the blog took off and I started more and more writing about like, okay, what are the ways in which we can find these hidden genetic switches that we can control our health? Not just food, but sleep and sun exposure and exercise and, and play. And, and, and I, it was amazing the number of, of things that we could do in our lives that would allow us to access better health. Mm-hmm. Over time, I realized I was writing so much about food being kind of the focal point. Like if you don't have your food right, if you don't have your way of eating, your diet dialed in, then all these other things don't really work as well. The sleep doesn't work as well, the play doesn't work as well, the exercise isn't effective. So I was writing so much about food, and the real aha moment was I, I recognized that once you get rid of sugars and sweetened beverages and pies, cakes, candies, cookies, crackers, um, you get rid of the industrial seed oils, the corn oil, the soybean oil, the canola oil, um, and you get rid of the trans fats, you come down to a fairly short list of foods that are good for you beef, pork, lamb, chicken, turkey, some fish, maybe 17 vegetables, right? It's not a big list of vegetables. Um, and some starchy tubers like potatoes, sweet potatoes, things like that. And, and those are all great and those are all healthy, wonderful foods, but it's a fairly limited, limited menu. Now the good news is that there are different ways of preparing them. There are sauces you can put on them, dressings, herbs and spices, methods of preparations that you can change. And, and that's where the variety comes in. And that's where when you want to eat a clean, like healthy diet, um, you want it to be satiating. You want it to be satisfying. You want it, to, you know, you, you want to feel like you're excited about it every meal. You want every bite of food you put in your mouth to taste great. And, and what makes the difference is these sauces, these dressings, and these mm-hmm. toppings. And no company was making a healthy mayonnaise or a healthy ketchup or a health, really even a healthy salad dressing. You know, yeah. your whole life you've been told you've got to eat these things sparingly because they're not good for you. You know, mayonnaise tastes, false. Tastes, tastes <laughs> it turns great. out it's false. Yeah, taste well, <laughs> tastes great, but but you know, the more you put on your food, it's got you know again soybean oil and it's got artificial flavors and colors and preservatives and all this stuff. And so the things that, that we were putting on our food, like we would choose to, to a beautiful cut of meat or you know a burger or something like that, and then put put ketchup with high fructose corn syrup on it and kind of ruin, yeah. ruin the healthy portion of that, ruin the health experience. So I set about in 2014 to design a line of products that, that you could put on food and use to your heart's content and not feel guilty about using it. Yeah. Uh, and what that involved was, was employing uh, healthy versions of, of, of oils. So not using soybean oil or corn oil or canola oil, but using either you know avocado oil or extra virgin olive oil, things that we know to be to be good for us and beneficial. Um, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm interested to go back to the 80s. And 
I want you to talk to me about sort of the light bulb moment that you had when you realized that it was food that was causing you so many issues. And did you suspect it for a while? Because the reality is in the 80s, I don't think that there were many pioneers in the food industry approaching food um, or thinking about food from this inflammatory perspective. I feel like that's pretty new from like the last like five to 10 years, people are talking about that stuff. But in the eighties, like we were eating TV dinners. So how did you actually figure this out? Did you like experiment on yourself? Like what was the aha moment for you? So there were several. Um, and, and the more recent one wasn't in the eighties. It was in the nineties because the eighties mm. was still that's still the dark ages with food. That's still like, take me back to the 80s. Yeah, take me back to the 80s. I'll take you back with an 80s, uh, you know, retro uh, music uh, party because <laughs> the music was good there. But that's as far as I'll go. I won't take you back there with a diet. No, I mean, the first, the first thing I recognized was that if I was going to stop running 100 miles a week, which is literally mm -hmm. what my training was, um, that I was going to have to cut back on uh, the amount of calories I consume because otherwise I was sure. going to you know, gain weight. Mm -hmm. um, I recognized pretty early on that this um, fear that people had about fat was misguided. The fat was not the bad guy that it was made out to be. Uh, and I started initially researching about healthy fats. So, mm -hmm. you know, we look at monounsaturated fats that we find in avocado oil or that we find in extra virgin olive oil. Um, and even some of the, uh, the medium chain triglycerides and the saturated fats that we might find in coconut oil. Uh, so the first kind of phase, the first wave of my um, my, you know, series of aha moments was once I got rid of sugars, because I knew sugars were bad. I knew that even though I'd been eating sugars, you know, sugary foods, again, these were, when I talk about sugary foods, not just candies and desserts, but I'm talking about of course. carbs that turn into glucose really rapidly. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, rice and pasta and refined grains, they sort of convert into glucose in your bloodstream. Bananas. Oh, yeah, okay. even bananas. <laughs> uh, so, so I recognized pretty early on that, that I'd have to cut out uh, most of those, a, a, a lot of those. Uh, but I kept consuming whole grains. I kept thinking whole grains were the, you know, that's allowed and that's encouraged because they, they must be good because everybody's promoting them and they have bran and mm -hmm. the fiber is supposed to be good for regularity. And well, they took up the whole bottom of the food pyramid Six to also. 11 servings a day. That's crazy. Oh, in retrospect. Can you imagine eating 11 pieces of bread every day? <laughs> in 11, in, you know, in, in retrospect, it's not only crazy, it's criminal because that's how we got to where, as a society, that's how we got to where we are today. I so know. that was, that was kind of part one was just kind of cleaning up my diet generally. But it wasn't until I was literally 47 years old, this is 20 years ago, uh, that I, that I said, you know, I'm still having some issues, um, with, uh, aches and pains. I was feeling arthritis in my, in my hands. And, um, and I, mm -hmm. I still had the little bit of the, I, I had the IBS and, and, um, my wife just, she said, look, you know, you're writing about all these different kinds of foods. And it looks like you're writing a lot about grains and how problematic they might be for some people. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, the some people isn't me because, you know, um, I've, I, I, I defend my right to eat grains because I'm supposed to, or they're apparently good for me and I'm not celiac. Sure. So it right. Must be fine. Well, then mm -hmm. I, I just, she said, well, why don't you give up grains for 30 days? And I gave up grains for 30 days and it absolutely transformed my life. So that was my aha moment. My, my yep. aha moment was here I was already uh, 15 years into doing research on food and diet and exercise. And I hadn't discovered this essential sort of component for me, not necessarily for everybody, although I would argue that most people have an issue with grains. 
But for me, it was it was life changing, and and that's really when I said, okay, this this diet thing is far more important than my thinking that oh maybe it was just because I trained so many miles that was the problem, or maybe it was just because I'm type A and I had stress a lot that was the problem that that was causing all these things. No, it was largely uh, my diet and my inclusion. Of, of grains in my diet and as soon as I got rid of them I'm literally within a week things started to get fixed and and it's been um, I mean to this day I sometimes tear up when I think how awful my life was from a gastrointestinal point of view from the age of 14 to the age of 47. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's important that people learn and recognize that when you talk about an inflammatory food, it's not always causing you like digestive upset. Inflammation is like a general term that can be used to talk about brain fog, bloating, arthritis, you know, uh, rashes. There's so many different ways that the body responds from an inflammatory perspective to different foods. And so I think that's just really important to point out. And like for me, I did an elimination diet a year, about a year ago, and I did um, gluten, eggs, and dairy. And gluten was hugely problematic for me, but never from a digestive perspective. But the brain fog I was experiencing, oh my God. You know, for me, it's like I couldn't remember the word that I was searching for half the time and I'm 33. And now the clarity of mind that I experience is just, it's so different for me now than it was, you know, a year ago and and for the, um, you know, preceding years. It's very, very interesting. So you basically did an elimination diet before the they were hip. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but what you, what you just described, I think 95% of people, maybe even more, have some issue with some food that they're consuming that they're not aware of. Yep. And they would be well served to try an elimination diet of some kind to just sort of experiment and figure out what it is that is that is keeping them from literally being their best self, you know, from, from optimizing their health because they continue to consume a food or a food group or, or, you know, something else in their diet that is causing problems could be brain fog, like you say, uh, could be uh, general malaise, you know, lack of energy, uh, could be irritable bowel syndrome, could be leaky gut syndrome, which is huge. Um, and and this, this inflammation that you described, again, it is the most essential element to most disease is inflammation. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at all the diseases of civilization, um, you know, metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes, heart disease, cancer. A lot of these have at their root cause inflammation. So mm-hmm. if you get rid of the inflammation, that is the that's that's sort of the the prompting point that would cause the body to go down that path of that disease, and and therefore in reducing inflammation becomes sort of the holy grail of achieving uh, you know fitness. So do you think that, you know, certain foods, you know, and forgive me because I don't really know, you know, the proven science on this, I would assume that this is the case, but do you think that foods can actually express genes that cause illness, like inflammatory, inflammatory foods can actually cause those genes to then develop cancer, develop whatever it is that you may not have otherwise? Well, I would say absolutely. It's a very nuanced uh, system and right, it's you know, complex. It, but... Genes turning on or off, uh, in res- they certainly turn on or off in response to certain foods that we that we consume. So, mm-hmm. for instance, if you have if your diet is high in polyunsaturated fatty acids, and particularly 
omega-6 fatty acids. Those tend to turn on genes and cause inflammation. Now they do so, the genes aren't, they're not good or bad genes. These aren't necessarily bad genes that we're turning on. They're just genes that are there to respond to a certain uh, signal that we give them. And in many cases, that pro-inflammatory response would, would have served us well historically through evolution. Uh, but now, because we're turning it on chronically and it's on all the time and we're causing this sort of what we call systemic inflammation throughout the body, then it becomes a bad thing. Um, people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I have the gene for, uh, uh, for type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes runs in my family. Well, I would argue that type 2 diabetes is not an example of defective genes uh, doing their whatever, their, their harm. Type 2 diabetes is an example of your perfect human genes addressing a situation that you've created through your diet. And that's right. just your body just trying to achieve homeostasis by figuring out a way to manage all of the sugar that you're dumping into your blood on a regular basis. And that not, not only that you're dumping into your blood, but then you're not disposing of because you're not exercising appropriately and so, right. so on and so forth. So this, this, uh, this idea of good genes and bad genes isn't necessarily something that I would, I would want people to visualize, right? You just have this set of genes that they respond to signals. And if I can coach you into turning on certain genes that would, build muscle mm -hmm. rather than tear muscle down. Look, there's a time when tearing muscle down is literally appropriate, right? If you're starving and you haven't had food for 30 days, tearing muscle down is probably an appropriate mechanism that your body has. Mm -hmm. uh, so all these genes have a purpose. That's how we got here today. But I'm trying to coach people into, you know, in, into a, a direction that would give them the results that they're seeking, you know, greater muscular tone, uh, lower body fat, you know, an improved immune system and so on and so forth. So as it turns out, there is no one size fit all when it comes to shampoo and conditioner, I think as you guys all know and agree. And as a blonde, I have always personally really struggled to find a shampoo and conditioner that keeps my hair shiny and healthy while also preventing that dreaded brassiness. Then I discovered Pros. And if you don't know about Pros, they make personalized shampoo and conditioner and they have given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how I got started with their algorithm and over 50 billion formula combinations, Pros determined a unique blend of ingredients to treat my exact concerns. I took the quiz on Pros' website and the level of detail it goes into to understand your unique hair type is so unmatched. They want to learn everything from your hair goals to your hair type. They even want to learn what environmental factors like stress and air quality might affect you so that they, they can create the best formula for you. The cool thing is it took me no more than five minutes to complete and by the end I had received a free hair consultation and a unique formula for shampoo and conditioner made just for me. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. All you have to do is go to pros.com slash ILW. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash ILW for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Now back to I Love Wellness. Um, so I'd like to kind of switch directions for a little bit and talk about Primal Kitchen and how you guys actually formulate your products, come up with the recipes. And I think that I know the answer to this because we do this at Love Wellness when we make all of our products. But 
Is it easy or difficult to make the products that you make in such a simple and straightforward fashion? Because I think the average consumer goes to the store and they're used to buying all these products with an ingredient list that's like 30 ingredients long and they don't know what this shit is and they have no real way to understand like what's in the food, et cetera. And so I guess my question is, and I would love it if you would share your perspective, is like all this food just made that way so that it just tastes good? Like when did we start making food that was so bad for us and why? Is it because of lobbyists? Is it because of different industries? And like you guys make this food and to me, seemingly it's really easy to make food in a great way. So I'm just curious kind of how you think about formulating and making your food and and is it easy or a challenge? That's a, that's a great question. There, again, there's so many nuances to, to, to the answer. It's difficult to make our products. It's not as difficult as you might expect, but it's difficult. And one of the reasons is that we use really, really high quality ingredients these ingredients cost sometimes 20 times as much as comparable ingredients that you would find in other products. Mm-hmm. So when you have a large big food company that's been making uh, sauces for a long time, they are going to appeal, first of all, to the taste buds of the consumer. So the mm-hmm. consumer over, over the decades has said, you know, we want crunchy, salty, fatty, sweet. That's what we want. And the companies that are making the food who want to sell food and who want to appeal to their their shareholders Mm -hmm. will say, okay, I guess we'll have to appeal to that. So in making these foods, they seek the most cost efficient ingredients. So if soybean oil is like 20 cents a pound or 30 cents a pound or corn oil is 20 cents a pound, that's what they'll use. And literally that's what they'll use that day. So sometimes you'll see on a label, a parenthesis say may contain one of the following, right? Hmm. Corn oil, soybean oil, cotton oil, cottonseed oil, and, and, and the reason is because they reserve the right to change the oils based on how cheap the oils were when they made the product. Whoa, that's so interesting. Yes, this is the one kind of stuff that I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, high fructose corn syrup came, came about because it was a much cheaper way to deliver sweetness uh, rather than just using cane sugar or, or sucrose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then high fructose corn syrup became the go-to sweetener for myriad products that people grew up with in the, again, in the, in the eighties and, and nineties. Um, and you can go down the list and typically a, uh, a food manufacturer who is trying to appeal to a certain demographic, um, usually tries to, to start with a price point first and then, and then figure out what it's going to take to build it. Right. So you'll say, okay, we want to come in with a snack pack that's two ninety nine at retail. And so how many compromises do we have to make to make this product so that we can make money at it if it retails at $2.99? Now, here I come into the food business in 2015, uh, a rube, a newbie. Yeah, I have my hubris, like I can do this, and uh, this will be easy, and no prior knowledge of the food industry. And I'm, I'm like, how come no one has made these kind of products before? How come no one has made a salad dressing based on avocado oil. How come no one has made a, a healthy, better for you mayonnaise that people right. want to use and want to use? Like I have people, as, as you probably know, who buy a, a jar of my mayonnaise and then they tell me they, they ate it in two days with a spoon. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that's keto, by the way. Um, Got it. So we set about to, and, and now when I say we, um, my, my partner in this, uh, Morgan Bueller, who I had hired from another food company. We literally sat in my, in my kitchen 
and we came up with these these different concoctions and we said you know what would it be like to have a dressing that was based on avocado oil as the, as the only oil ingredient and then organic other ingredients and some functional aspects to it so uh mm-hmm. you know we, we came up with the greek dressing that was high in oregano oil for instance and uh, uh and then what we did and this was very unusual is we said what is it what is it going to take to build the best possible product and how much is it going to cost and then establish a retail price based on that so we didn't start with a price and, and back into it we literally started with building the best possible product demonstrably the best product like there's no one there's no product on any of the store shelves that beats our product when you when you check off all the boxes of you know was it made with the best ingredients does it eliminate all the harmful and crappy ingredients does it still taste good you know all these all these different things and so you know, we, we acknowledge right out of the blocks, we were going to be more expensive than our competitors. And in some cases, twice or even three times as expensive as some of our competitors. But we're using ingredients that cost 20 times as much as the ingredients they're using. Because we know that there are some people who read the labels who want the fewest possible ingredients. And that's the, that's the irony there. Is, yeah, by the time you come down to it, you don't have to use, if you're using real wholesome great ingredients you don't have to throw a lot of crap in there to tweak the taste and to tweak the you know like if you've ever had and i if you've ever had i know you've had you know a good beautiful green extra virgin olive oil there are so many tastes within that one product like you know there's so many so many little essential flavors and 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 little things going on you don't need to add 14 other ingredients to tweak it so the irony of ironies is that you, if you use the best ingredients, you don't have to use a lot of ingredients to make the sauces mm. and the dressings that we make. Yeah, I love that. You know that show, How It's Made? I, that's, it's like an old show. It's like maybe like a PBS show or something. But I was, was so fascinated by that show. And so whenever I have somebody who owns, you know, some kind of food or CPG company come on, I'm, I'm always curious about the actual manufacturing of it and sort of like the industry nuances, because to me, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, when I started Love Wellness, I learned so much about supplements, vitamins, cosmetics, like things that the average consumer just has no idea about. Um, and once you have a solid understanding or just like a baseline understanding of how different categories actually make and produce things, um, I feel like as, as a consumer, you are so much better equipped to make good decisions for yourself. So thank you so much for telling us about that. It, to me, it's very fascinating. So the last topic that I want to go into is quarantine fatigue and how you are fighting it, how people can use food to fight it. And maybe like it's some mental wellness stuff too, but I, I would love to just kind of like hear what you're doing and like walk me through your, your day. So today I got up at uh, 7.45. So one of the things about quarantine is <laughs> I have zero problem with getting a lot of sleep. That's right? so nice. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I love sleep. Yeah. So I don't, I don't apologize for that at all. Um, and I think we went to bed last night around 1130 because we, we've been binge watching a lot of stuff, but um, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and why not? So I get up, um, I have, you know, two newspapers I read pretty much cover to cover. Um, I make a cup of coffee and I, I, I read the wall street journal and New York times and I do the, the crosswords and all the puzzles. Um, I'm pretty good. I can get through those in, 15 or 20 minutes. Wow. Know, total start to Even Sunday? Not, well, Sunday's a long puzzle. It's, it's not difficult. <laughs> the, difficult pu- the difficult New York Times puzzles are Friday and, are Friday and, uh, and Saturday. 
Um, they get more difficult as the week goes on. Anyway, so then uh, today at um, whatever time I, I, I broke, I, I drove over to my friend's house. I paddled uh, alone, uh, which is very meditative for me, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a great workout. So I paddled ocean for an hour and a half on a stand-up paddleboard, um, came back, made us a, uh, a salad uh, with um, our new vegan mayonnaise, the rosemary garlic version of our vegan mayonnaise. If you haven't tried mm. it, it's spectacular. No, so I haven't. That, so I used that and mixed that up with tuna. Read a little bit. I, I set aside, as I say, a, about two hours a day to do music. Uh, and again, that's something I would not have done if I weren't forced to, but I found things to do. It's kind of weird. Like I thought I would be bored. And at the end of almost every day, I'm like, oh, damn, I didn't have time to do that other thing I thought about doing today because I was just so busy moving from one thing to the next. So I think that's really the key is, is to keep yourself occupied and keep yourself busy. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, constantly learning is like the main, the main thing we should be doing in life. And that's why I'm doing the music right now. Do you have a tip for somebody that is sort of struggling in quarantine? Because I think that you are probably a really great example of somebody that, you know, has this set routine. You have a healthy lifestyle. You exercise. So your endorphins are firing. You're doing meditative stuff. You're feeding your body with great food. But what about somebody who is who is not and would like to develop a healthier lifestyle but needs some place to start? Well, I mean, I think being outside, especially now, is great. So um, depending on what part of the country you're in and what your access is to being outside, I think just going out and walking twice a day would be, yeah. it'd be a perfect opportunity to start getting into that, into that uh, exercise routine. And, and I'm not talking about training for a marathon. I'm talking about moving, just walking, just, yeah. you know, just getting out there and breathing fresh air. And I've had days you know, here, even in my apartment where it's sunny out, but I'm busy all day. And at the end of the day, I'm like, whoa, I didn't even leave the apartment yesterday or today. Yeah. <laughs> but to go outside and just, and just get that fresh air. Um, again, I think because of where we are as a culture and a society, there's so many apps. Like you could learn a language right now. Like if you decided, you know, that if you live in, in, in New York and, and, and in Miami too, and you say, you know, there's enough people that speak Spanish here. I, I should probably get, you know, somewhat proficient in this language. Mm-hmm. Take the opportunity to, to spend an hour or two a day. And then when you go on your walk, put on your little, you know, there's apps that you can practice and talk to yourself. Everybody's talking to themselves on the street now, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, every time I go down the street, to, yo, what's up? And I'm like, hey, what's up? No, they're talking, they're calling their buddy on the phone, right? Yeah. But they got the, they got the earbuds on. It's <laughs> like, okay, sorry. Uh, not talking to me, I guess. I'm just looking, um, just looking for human connection. I know. Gosh, <laughs> me too. Well, I think that um, the suggestion to take, take a walk is, is a really good place to start. And when I'm in the city, that is something that I try to do first thing in the morning, because it helps me kind of dispel that early morning anxiety of like, I'm alone, there's coronavirus, oh my God. So I like to get up and go outside. And then I like to take another walk kind of like in the late afternoon here, it definitely helps kind of reframe my perspective on the day. You know? Yeah, no, really, and I think, I, for, really I think for any of your listeners who, who have a concern about being outside, I think it's, it's, depending on, you know, how you, you know, maneuver through crowds, um, as long as there are no crowds and you're just, you know, you're able to maintain your social distancing, it is so much better to be outside than to be inside. Yeah, I agree. Humans, we, we're supposed to be outside. Um, okay, cool. Well, two questions to wrap things up. And these are questions that I ask all of our guests. The first is, what is your secret ritual? This is something that you do that makes you feel happy, helps you unwind. It could literally be anything. I mean, my secret ritual other than during this particular time is I, I, around four or five o'clock every day, I do a cold plunge 
uh, and a sauna. Oh. And that just absolutely is the most invigorating uh, thing I could do. And it's, it's a great way to end the day, but it's also a great way to start the night and, and set up for sleep too. Oh gosh, I love that. Love a cold plunge in a sauna. Okay, cool. Um, my other question is, and I think I probably know what you're going to say, but what is one thing that you do now that you wish that you had learned earlier in your life that makes you feel great? 100% it's not eating so much. So my whole life. Um, like the volume of yes, food? Yes, the volume of food. Yeah. My oh. whole life, I was a slave to gluttony. Now, I weighed 30 pounds less when I was in the, in the throes of this than I weigh now. So I was, I was a marathoner, and I could, I could eat anything and everything. And I was – there used to be a TV show uh, in the 80s called uh, Green Acres. Did you ever see it? Uh-huh. So there was, a, there was a pig on Green Acres called Arnold Ziffel, right? Okay. <laughs> it was a big 1,000-pound pig. And when I was in college, my college buddies nicknamed me Arnold. And to this day – 40 years later, they will call me Arnold because that, that was, that was, <laughs> that was my nickname in Connell. So, so I was never marked to them. I was all, always Arns or Arnold named after Arnold Ziffel the pig because I could eat more than anybody in my college, including the football team. Now oh I carried that with me for years because I could, I could get away with it. Right. Yeah. When I said it was not just what I was eating, but how much I was eating. So that amount of food had an inflammatory effect as well. And what I recognize now is that for most of my life, including up until the time I turned 60, I was eating more food than I needed to eat to be satisfied, to be energetic, to be, you know, to maintain muscle mass and all that. So that's one thing I would maybe go back and, and change and tell my, you know, my younger self, you know, here's a little trick. You don't need to eat nearly as much food to be happy. I love that. Um, well, this has been particularly insightful and I'm a huge fan of Primal Kitchen. So thank you so much for participating in our little program here. Where can our listeners find you and find Primal Kitchen before we sign off? Sure. So uh, my blog is marksdailyapple.com. Uh, it's been around for almost 14 years. My books uh, can be found on Amazon. If you just Google Mark Sisson, there's, I've written 10 books. But the most recent one is Keto for Life, about the mm -hmm. ketogenic diet. And then I have uh, the Keto Reset Diet, which is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Primal Kitchen Foods, Primal Kitchen products can be found pretty much at every food store in the country now. So we're in um, you know, Safeway and Publix and Kroger and Costco and Whole Foods and Sprouts. And, and Wegmans and HEB. And I mean, you know, we're, we're all over the place. Everywhere. So, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. So kick ass. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mark. It was really wonderful to chat with you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks.